0: Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Police Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, our next installment of Meet the Mayor. We'll talk with East Hampton's Mayor, Nicole LaChapelle, about superintendents, spending, and songs. The mayor's a big local music fan. If you've got a question for the mayor, text us at 1-800-639-639. 9-1-2-0.
1: And it's the 1st of May. Outdoor something-something starts today, but we're interpreting the culmination of that and International National Labor Day to mean working with the land so that the plants might prosper. So we'll be checking in with Cisa and Julia Lemure of Windy Ridge Farm and Holly about their unique CSAs and more. But first, a very special Mr. Universe segment. Let's take you to the Springfield Museums for the grand reopening of the Seymour
0: Planetarium. Where you'll be able to see more. At the Seymour Planetarium.
1: I can't promise it won't all be dad jokes but gosh I wish I could.
0: We're here at the grand reopening of the Seymour Planetarium at the wonderful Springfield Museums and who do I run into but the mayor of Springfield himself Dominic Sarno. This place is, means something special to you.
2: It does but first of all Monte I want to thank you for what you do on your walk uh, to raise awareness of a hunger and help out homelessness and all the food donations that you get on that. But, yes, it does. We're walking right
0: now, so this is like yeah, training. We, we
2: are walking. <laughs> and uh, I have to tell you, as a kid going to White Street School, it was a big deal when we had a school trip here. It was either third or fourth grade, and I, and I never forgot it. Then you fast forward, play it forward, and I remember bringing my daughters when they were younger down here too. And to a lot of kids, especially in the urban center, these are the type of activities that help them not only dream, but to achieve. And, and to me, I, I always remembered it and it was a big deal. Yeah. Take, you know, the field trip and coming down here. And um, so I'm glad to be here to say a couple of words and I'm off to a six o'clock. It was, but good. It was really nice That's to meet you too.
0: Great. And we'll have you on to meet the mayor. This doesn't count as your meet the mayor. Okay. We're going to have you on soon.
3: Jenny. I'm the director of the Science Museum.
0: This is a big day for the Science Museum. The reopening of the Seymour Planetarium, even the mayor is excited about it in this year.
3: We are all excited. This is a real gift to Springfield. Um, In 1937, we couldn't afford a Zeiss projector, and today we can, thanks to our federal earmark. Uh Aha! So
0: I'm assuming that was Congressman Neal that figured out how to make that happen. Actually it was Ed Markey. And so tell me about what that projector is that you're talking about.
3: So the Zeiss is the gold standard for planetarium projectors. They invented the projection planetarium and their optics are known worldwide. So the lenses in the planetarium projector are 20 pounds each and it projects onto our full dome. The corcus which only project the stars now we can project almost anything we know in the universe. And we can also show a lot of shows that involve a lot more representation than we could. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'm really extremely proud of is we have our first Spanish language show. Oh my goodness, that's so great. Yeah, That's, that's really important too, I think. It's really important for serving the city of Springfield, yeah. definitely. So when
0: we go into the planetarium, what is it that we're going to see right now?
3: Instead of just seeing a dark sky with stars illuminated on the ceiling, you should walk in and see clouds overhead. They're computer generated, we can leave them up all day. But then we're gonna go into some of the things that we can see in real time or that gets updated daily so we know what it looks like, including our solar system, the planets, and even beyond.
0: So what we see in there is in real time, because like, I've always wondered, like, am I watching a video in this planetarium? It's not like an observatory. It's not like a telescope. So what's the right.
3: difference? So because there's so many satellites and probes out in our solar system, they send information back consistently. And so the projector updates itself every day. So you're not seeing real time as in right now, but you're seeing images that may have been updated as recently as 24 hours ago. Well, it doesn't
0: really matter because any star you see in the sky, even with your naked eyes, that light literally left. Tens of millions of years ago, it usually. It could
3: be. With the web <laughs> telescope, we can see back 13.7 billion years in our The universe is only 13.8 billion years old. So you're seeing most of the way. It's pretty (laughs) exciting. And the other thing is we'll be able to do things like add planetarium shows that include web images. As soon as they come out, we can start working on that and present that, you know, not maybe the same day, but we can present it. What's in the news is what people are most excited about. So we want them to see those new images and enjoy them and get to expand their own universe
0: can't wait. My guy, Mr. Universe, our resident astronomer is coming to check this out with us. It should be so fun.
3: Awesome. I hope you have a good time in the planetarium. My favorite part is when we take a wormhole back to Earth. Woo
0: least it's awesome because you can get White Lion at, at the museum right now, not always.
1: I know, not always, but like whenever they have events like this, they're here and it's really nice.
0: You got a, a not intentionally astronomically themed
1: White Lion beer. Yeah, but they, we both got astronomically themed labels. So like What's mine yours? is Skyline and it's a Crystal Eisen. It's a wheat beer that is clarified unlike Hefeweizen.
0: And mine is a Starball that has a very specific Springfield Museum label on it. Does yours have that too?
1: No, yeah, mine one. just has constellations, but you know what, I'm you not getting You can get that one it. a lot, right? You can, I don't know if they're going to make this one of their standard rotation, but I think they should, considering how popular it's been, apparently. And I'm drinking a Starball, which is a local pilsner, but has stuff from
0: the
4: planetarium on it. Pretty cool. Kay Simpson. I'm the president of the Springfield Museums.
0: What does this new and refurbished planetarium mean for you and the Springfield Museums?
4: Well, it's so exciting because the shows that we've been doing since 1937 have used a handmade starball projector.
0: Starball? Like the beer that I'm drinking from White Lion?
4: Well... Shameless Blood. Shameless Blood. Something like that. It is a famous object, we're very proud of it. It's an antique, but we really wanted to be able to offer programs and experiences that really provide children and families with an opportunity to feel like they really are just soaring through the universe. So now we have this full dome digital projection system and we are going to be able to do so many more things we're really feeling like this is a big transition for us. It's transformational.
1: Do you have the original star ball
4: on display elsewhere in the museum now? It's still in the planetarium. Oh, really So the beauty is that we are going to be able to do both. So we not only have the oldest operating star ball in the world, in 1934, we, the museum that is, wanted to purchase a state-of-the-art Zeiss projection system, and it was the height of the depression, and they couldn't afford it. So two brothers from Chicopee, the Corcus brothers, actually made one by hand. Wow. Which is absolutely, really incredible. <laughs> Honestly, I
1: feel like might be the reason it's still operable and and, and doing well today, that's frankly. Cool. And so that's
4: still
0: in
1: there? It's still in there, and
4: we now have this new projection system and it's amazing. I'd like to have your attention just for a few minutes because we do have a very special guest with us, Mayor Dominic Sarno. We just took him into the planetarium and he saw the new projection system and I think he was just incredibly dazzled by it. And I explained to him that the star ball that we have, which was actually created by the Corcus brothers of Chicopee, 1934 to 1937 was in use until 2022. And at that time, it was the oldest operating star ball in the world. When the star ball was uh, first inaugurated, Back in 1937, there were a lot of celebrities that actually came and visited the planetarium, including the famous actor Clark Gable, oh, wow. and that was in 1939. So fast forward um, to I think it's the 1980s or 1990s when Dominic Sarno was in grade school in <laughs> Springfield, and
5: he came to
4: the planetarium. And he uh, essentially saw the same show that Clark Gable saw in 1939. So now we are so excited with a blend of Uh, federal and state earmarks uh, and support from all of you, our donors. We now have a state-of-the-art size projection system. Now, I should say um, a really significant amount of money that has supported this endeavor has come from the federal government through a federal earmark. And it was congressionally directed, and so for that reason, I think it is especially important that we thank Congressman Richard Neal.
2: Thanks to all of you. And generally, you don't have much applause for federal spending. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a a reminder of the genius of the Carcass brothers the unwavering loyalty and support of all of you. Every time I walk across the green, I'm reminded of the extraordinary benefactors who had the vision to make this investments along the way that in time, even my grandchildren get to enjoy. I first came here uh, as a child in the Springfield Public Schools. I feel like a neighbor Technical High School across the street, baptized, confirmed, just a few yards from here and we transformed this neighborhood with federal investments. I had somebody in my office the other day and I was over the window and I said, you know, see that school across the street? That's where Ted Geisel went to high school. That's where William Manchester went to high school. And I always pause at the end and I say, that's where Ted Leary went high school. <laughs> and I always point that out, but the treasure that it, these museums are now black in this city, it's unbelievable for a city our size to have these sort of great cultural amenities.
1: Thank you all from the United States of America.
0: Can we bring beer into a planetarium?
1: I have no idea, but we should ask because they just got this and it's new and we don't want to ruin it. Yeah, we don't want to spill beer. We want to be asked back. Right. Uh, are we allowed?
3: Can we take the beers in there? Uh, unfortunately. Okay. No. All right, we'll leave them. We'll leave them. Actually, they were—they have been letting them in the last few nights. No, yeah. not tonight. Oh, OK. It's it's all right. Yep, yeah, we did it.
0: Um, Dang it. Hold my beer. Yeah. Can't wait to go in there. Here we go. So we're
3: trying to add a lot more to the museum not only because it's good for everybody we love to touch things but also we can help serve this is a way we can serve people who have low or no sight. Can I hold the meteorite? Yes you can Mm -hmm. for you.
0: It is heavy. It is heavy. Look at that. Where did the meteorite go? I put it in my pocket. It's mine now.
3: Uh, Did you see the big one outside? You can't walk away with that. Uh, What's your name?
0: Nate Wood. You're driving the planetarium. Do you feel like you're a space pilot or like playing a video game or how does it it feel like? I like to imagine I'm a space pilot. The night sky both beautiful and mysterious. The subject
6: of campfire stories, ancient myths, and awe for as long as there have been people. Living beneath the open dark sky, the earliest
1: humans were aware of nightly changes as planets marched across the sky,
7: the moon waxed and waned, and occasional meteors flared across the horizon. If you might want to um, close your eyes
2: for a bit, if you are a little prone to maybe be motion second, really it's going to pop us up out of the solar system a little bit. We can see the orbits of all the other planets. These orbits are as the planets, the position of the planets are in right now. And here we go. And
0: there was a request to visit oh, Pluto, so we're going again. to visit. To Sticking Pluto's up with the little guy.
2: Very Nobody said Uranus, and that's disappointing.
0: Hampshire College of Genre, Dr. Salman Hamid. Mr. Universe is here at this grand reopening of the Seymour Planetarium. Why are planetariums, they're not telescopes. You're not looking right now at the skies. Why are planetariums important? for popular science at museums like this?
7: This is the way to see the stars because light pollution is now such a big issue that you actually don't get to see what is up in the night sky. And planetariums just provide you, first of all, a glimpse of the night sky, all the stars that are there, and secondly, You can do a lot more with that because you can change whatever year if you want to see sort of like you know million years before a million years later. If you can see close-ups of certain types of stars and planets and things like that, so you can do all of that. This is actually not just simply a theoretical question. I was got interested. I mean, I got interested because of Carl Sagan. But once I got interested in astronomy, the first thing I did and I read about it is I go to a planetarium. And at the time in the early 80s. Karachi had some new planetariums that had started. And it was just an amazing experience because Karachi is like one of the biggest cities in the world. You don't see stars. So just being surrounded by it, it's just an amazing feeling which, I mean, unfortunately, the only place now we can get that deep night sky is inside a planetarium. I wish there are other places. And yeah, you can go to New Mexico. You can go to other we dark go to an island off the coast of Maine, which is the coolest place I've ever been. That is true. So th- those are places, but... In the absence of that, a planetarium is amazing. Please, okay. what was your take?
1: It was really cool. Them integrating the things in real time is really, really fun. I think I'm more interested in seeing more of that, um, especially because I didn't get to see the planet that I wanted to see the surface of, but that's OK. Which was it? I kind of wanted to see Mercury, all burnt out. <laughs> they let us pick what, um, what to planet
0: to look at, and they picked Pluto some Hamid.
7: Well, and at least, it is a planet. I actually really respect this because down here you can see in every place Pluto is part of the. I had the to explain to planets. someone
1: nearby like the the debate about Pluto. Yeah.
0: Salman's on the, I, on the side of it still being a planet. It's like, is a
7: hot dog a sandwich with John Hodgman?
1: No, hot dogs are not sandwiches.
0: The Pluto end. is not technically a planet, but it
7: is in our hearts. Well, dwarf planet. So if you're going to yeah. say dwarf planet, terrestrial planets, giant planets, sure enough. But it's it's really cool, actually, because uh, there is also Josh Simpson's Earth stuff is here. I mean, I actually love the museum. I, I had not been here before. Oh, but I think yeah. you get to I've look been missing. A yeah, oh it's actually God, it's so really, uh, really cool.
0: coolest thing I saw was that... The sun shadow on the rings of Saturn. I've never really thought about that before. Uh, You don't usually usually see the big full frontal of Saturn and its rings. But then when you get it from the side, you're like, see, oh, there's a a nighttime on Saturn and it covers its rings too. That's pretty cool.
1: Why shouldn't there be nighttimes for everything? There definitely should, but you don't think about it all the time. And you can't see all of the sun at the same time. Yeah, but you don't think about it all the time.
0: You don't see it like that a lot. You got to see it in there, and that was cool.
7: But while you guys were in there, I had a chance to look around, and there is this really cool exhibit about the International Space Station as well. Yep. And they had these demonstrations about like what happens to you if you go out in space without a spacesuit. And death. <laughs> Well, actually, but it was cool <laughs> Not so because swift death. well they had marshmallows uh, to show on that, like, you know so the, oh, yeah, So yeah. They, the first, first you inflate, they sort of like glowed, and then it takes out, but never explodes. And I thought, well, That's a good way to go.
1: Thanks to Dr. Salman Hamid and everyone at the Springfield Museums for welcoming us to the grand reopening of the Seymour Planetarium.
0: Later in the show, we'll be meeting with Nicole LaChapelle of East Hampton, the mayor. Got a question for the mayor? Text us at 1-800-639-9120. Up next, Julie Lemure of Windy Ridge Farm in Holly talks seedlings with us and tells us how a pandemic improvisation became more of a mainstay. You're this... listening oh, to The sorry, Fabulous I you off.
1: 413 on NEPM, Monty! I was just
0: improvising. Ah! Uh... Time for another Local hero Spotlight, with Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero folks. And first of all, Phil, the event, Field Notes, on Sunday, Academy of Music was super great. So many amazing stories. It was great to hear a story in all Español. I think it's about time our storytelling folks have started to incorporate more of that, so lots of A little fun... bit of
1: shade there, but that's yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of shade to our own organization, but I threw that at the event, too. And I I, don't, I think it's, it's time. We that, should be doing more good. of that. And it was great to hear stories about our fields and foods from our farms and that Kind of stuff that SISA is up to, the local hero folks. And joining us appropriately enough now that it is May is Julia Lemure from Windy Ridge Farm. And I do we need to fully disclose, Khalise, that um you you
1: are involved. That I participate with... in their CSA, yes. And I, I
8: recognize on... the name, Khalees, so <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally me. I love your CSA. We'll get into that later.
0: What kind of a CSA is it? It's out of Holly, right? But calise mm-hmm. lives in Springfield, and you're still ha- somehow making it work for people who don't live in Holly.
8: Yeah, yeah. So we're um, we're certified organic. We've been certified for about a decade now. Um, and we focus mostly on seedlings, edible seedlings, medicinal seedlings. And one thing that we started doing actually in 2020 during COVID was offering home delivery. But we've found that it's actually been, um, there's been continued demand for that since COVID has, you know, a lot of things have gone back to normal, so to speak, but people are still wanting their seedlings. Delivered to their house. Um, and Kalise, you actually chose the seedling CSA is great because you you sign up early, so the farmer we're getting our, our funds um, when we're incurring a lot of the expenses. But you also save about 30% off the retail prices. Um, so it's it's a good way to get exactly what you want to um, when you pre-order. Kalise signed up for our custom seedling CSA, so she gets to choose every single plant that she gets, and it's it's a good way to save money and know that you're going to get those shishito peppers or whatever whatever your favorite garden friend is, um, you can know that you're going to get those exact plants.
0: Do you remember what you got, Khalees?
8: I got
1: a pile of things. I didn't get to do it all by my whim this time. I had to plan with my partner, so I think we're getting broccoli and a bunch of kale and Basil and some other herbs, too, because there's herbs and flowers and fruit as well, which is really, really cool. Um, even if I missed out on the shiso this year, but that's my own fault. So.
8: Oh, yes. It's not your fault either. It's um, the shiso did not want to germinate. So there was oh, there's no. no shiso for anybody from us this oh, year. So <laughs> sad.
1: You're one of the few places that grow it, which is really awesome. It's such a great plant if you can get it to cooperate with you.
8: Yes. It will also in self-seed, too. So once you get it going in your garden, it's it's one that likes to come back on its own sometimes. <laughs>
0: Julia Lemure, you're also um, germinating a human being seedling. As we're speaking to you, you uh, have a baby in an ergo baby carrier and are bouncing it in uh, the sort of way that Phil Corman has said it is like davening at shul or that I you know used to do for many, many, many years, bouncing children to sleep. So how is it juggling germinating seedlings and a humanling?
8: There's always... Yeah, there's a lot of multitasking in farming. Um, so this is just one of those one of those ways we're multitasking this year. And um, we, we love the baby stage, and it's actually easier, I think, this year, having having our little one in the carrier. Um, once she's mobile, it'll be a whole new set of uh, entertainment that we, we need to get into for keeping her occupied in the greenhouse. I have two older boys, and um, we used to have a little mobile um, sandbox on wheels, and I would drag it around wherever I was working in the greenhouse, and they would play in their sandbox wherever we were. So, was we, it a again? <laughs> seems kind of. like
0: a heavy thing to, to carry around. It was a, a sandbox. little.
8: It was a little sandbox. It's about like two feet by three feet, and it was low, and it had a little rope like a sled, and it worked really great.
1: <laughs> that is great. Very creative. Do they like planting things too?
8: The kids love planting things. Yes, um, and I'm hoping that this our little six month old. Um, so far, she seems very interested in all the all the work that we're doing out there every day, um, and she's she's certainly. Spent spending a lot of time in the carrier so
5: <laughs> so julia i'm curious like how do you decide what are the seedlings you're going to grow because you've really made it a point of the farm business to grow more seedlings that are appropriate for more different cultures than one usually sees
8: Yes, yeah, so there, there's a couple ways we, we come up with our production plan for the greenhouse. Um, we do quite a bit of wholesaling with other farms and farm stands and hardware stores and grocery stores around Western Mass in the Connecticut River Valley and over in the Berkshires and down into Connecticut. Um, so a lot of that stuff is pre-ordered. Um, the deadline is actually back at the beginning of February for wholesale. Um, and that that's great for us because we know that these plants are sold. Years ago when we started the greenhouses, um, bad weather in May could really affect our farm's bottom line for the year if we had like a really really wet cold Memorial Day weekend it would just kill our sales Um, and the way that we've been doing it with wholesale pre-order and also with retail pre-order on our website um, has kind of mitigated that dependence on like really good Saturday weather in May. In terms of items that we offer on on our website at the retail level a lot of it stems from customer demand. Um, so we do do one farmer's market throughout the year um, with plants and veggies over in Pittsfield. Um, so a lot of what we offer has come from, you know, just people asking, oh, can you grow the shishito pepper? Can you grow oregano brujo? Can you, can you grow us this thing? Um, so we've, we've just kind of listened to demand and, and we try to keep up with, with what people are interested in.
1: One of the things I was impressed with when I signed up the first time, because this is my second time doing your CSA, was that you had a Holyoke specific one. And Mm -hmm. in that one was like tomatoes and onions and like chilies and culantro, which wasn't available anywhere else. It was just available in that particular share. And I thought that was really, really cool how that specific one got designed. To be for the folks in that area who might or like the folks who kind of wanted that sort of thing
8: yeah that's um that's the Holyoke seedling Csa is definitely sort of a culturally in, important seedling box um, there's oregano brujo in there there's the culantro there's aiduse that share has been very very popular um, and again offering the home delivery we have a lot of folks we accept snap um, and of course hip to um, through our website and then we run folks cards when we deliver and a lot of people, we've kept that CSA price point at $40, which is, um, you know, happens to be what a one to two person household receives for HIP benefits for the month. So we've been able to deliver a lot of seedlings in the Holyoke and Springfield area um, to folks and we, we run their EBT card when we deliver and with HIP it doesn't lower their snap balance at all because they get that instant rebate.
5: Julia, I'm wondering, you know, you have such a strong commitment to equity and justness and you're growing seedlings, and I'm just wondering, like, where that came from for you in your life?
8: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. I grew up in Western Mass in the hill towns, not too far from where we're farming now. Um, I was always rummaging around in the garden, and I, ha- I had this little like herb garden that I planted when I was probably six or seven, and it's it's still there, like it's all wild. And so it was always something that. I was interested in and had a natural connection to. Um, I didn't see myself as a farmer as I was growing up, but I did end up uh, landing, landing back in this direction after having my oldest child. Um, And then for the past 10 years, in addition to the farm, I've also been um, working on a community garden program out in Pittsfield. So that's sort of my off farm job.
0: (laughs) still farm adjacent.
8: The community garden program is amazing. We have three gardens in elementary schools um, and two in um, public housing developments and then one is at a food pantry and meal site. Farming can be a little bit isolating out here in the hill towns um, and so being in community down there, um, my first job was in Pittsfield and I, I went to school in Pittsfield um, so it, I have a, a connection to that that town and um, it's really amazing to like be down there with other folks who are again either relearning how to garden or had barriers to access, didn't have a garden space so people are really excited to be you know, meeting their plant friends again.
0: Julia from Windy Ridge in Holly. it is May now. Despite the fact that we had three days of summer in April, it's kind of cold and wet and rainy. What should we be putting outside? What should we be leaving inside? Any like pro tips for what we should be doing right now?
8: It's been very, very wet. So I think home gardeners that are sort of doing a no-till practice are in better shape right now, maybe than some of the larger scale farmers that are kind of waiting for things to dry back out again before getting out there with their tractors. Um, But generally this time of year, you're safe. Putting in your lettuces and all your brassicas, so your broccolis and kales and cabbages and collards. Those are all fairly cold tolerant, so even if we get another night or two down into the 20s, um, they really won't mind. I'm always encouraging folks to wait on their cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers until closer to the end of May. And one thing that we do with our deliveries is we do try to wait, even when we have folks that like really want their seedlings at the beginning of May, um, we wait until the <laughs> middle of the month um, because it in general, if, if you plant a pepper plant into 45-degree soil, it's not going to die, um, but it's also not going to grow at all. So you're not gaining much by jumping the gun um, they really want the temps to be in the 60s, even in the evening, which we hardly get here in New England, even in the summertime. Um, right. yeah.
1: I'm in a, a black women's gardening group. And one of the things in for the women who are in New England, they're always coming out with comments in June, like, is it too late to put my stuff out? And I'm like, no, we live in New England. It's cold here. Like you did the safe thing.
8: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of folks at the higher elevations that specifically wait until June now. They, they don't want their delivery until June because they've they've learned the hard way we can, we can still get that Memorial Day frost every once in a while. Um, And with climate change, you know, we're definitely in a, in a warming trend in general, but it's also very like the temperatures are oscillating faster, it seems like, and being more extreme in either direction. So, you know, we got three feet of snow here in the middle of March this year, and we've never gotten three feet of snow since I've lived here. Um, So it it was a pretty major event for us. And that was on the, the extra snow side, not on the warm side.
5: So I know Julia, like, 14 months ago, you kind of had a greenhouse go down at maybe kind of the worst time that it could happen, and yet you sprung back how, how was that possible
8: yeah that was a that was a stressful time but now looking back on it um, a couple of nice things came from it um, we did it was March 8th there was a bad windstorm that came through and actually that morning Ben Clark came on and spoke with you briefly Monty about it and we, we started a. I remember that yeah we, we started a fundraiser the morning that it happened and at first I was very um, wary of doing that because it's it's our busiest time of year and all of a sudden I was down about uh, 30 percent of my growing space had you know, been destroyed overnight. So we started the fundraiser um, and then it was actually funded within two weeks by folks all over. Some we knew, some are customers, but some were just people um, in the community. And so we were able to rebuild within three weeks um, and had it back up and running in time for the, the busy plant rush here. And um, it was nice to know, again, sometimes when you're farming out here rurally, you can feel really isolated, and you feel like you're kind of like doing things on your own. Um, so having our community come behind us like that and really hold us up during that time was felt pretty good, even though it was a really stressful few weeks. Um, it was nice to know that people had our back.
0: It's like communities were involved in sustaining agriculture.
8: Yeah, well, we keep oh, calling it. It's our community-funded greenhouse now. There you go. <laughs> I kind do, of do think you... about it every time I walk in. So.
5: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine you selling the little ice cream popsicle stick where if people give money, they get to be on that stick. <laughs> <laughs>
8: uh,
0: Julia Lemure from Windy Ridge Farm in Holly with her seedlings and her seedling person in her Ergo Baby Carrier right now. And CSA is still available for those uh, seedlings?
8: Yes, yeah, we have a few. We wrap up the, the seedling CSAs. are they. We offer a certain number every year. And so when they sell out, they sell out.
5: But even with a CSA, if it sells out, people can still order their seedlings online or maybe they go to River Valley
8: co-op yeah yeah we um like i mentioned we do have wholesale partners in the connecticut river valley as well as the berkshires um we have seedlings at river valley co-op and at um, the old creamery out in Cummington. they're actually our oldest wholesale customer out there in the the hills and um, ashfield hardware store is another um hard to find but really amazing place that carries our seedlings um yeah and then we're also at um the pittsfield farmers market um may through october where they're every week so folks can find seedlings if they're over in the Berkshires.
1: Are you primarily growing your seedlings through like seed savings? Like when you growing the plants yourselves and letting it go to seed to preserve the seeds, or do you participate in, in seed saving that way? And do you offer those seeds for sale?
8: Yeah, so that's, it's funny you mentioned that, Khalees, because we just, this year, I've always had in my mind, I find it very strange that people sell seeds um, because to me, it's like something that you share and, and don't sell. But obviously like I have to buy a lot of seeds every year for our farms, production and and some things like hybrids we have to purchase the seed um because that's that's modified and and you can't save the seed because it won't be the the plant that you saved it from it won't have the same characteristics um but we do do quite a bit of seed saving with some of our open pollinated varieties and our heirloom varieties Um, and this year mainly again because of customer requests at the farmer's market we're offering just a couple of um seeds on our website is scotch bonnet peppers and um ahi limo or or the lemon drop pepper um they're they're both like really amazing pepper varieties and hot peppers are one of my favorite things to grow so we decided to just start there with the seeds um but we do a lot of seed saving and seed sharing sort of um separate from the economic business of the farm and it's probably my favorite thing that i do uh even though it has no monetary value attached to it uh there's something more important and more special about just sharing the seeds
0: that's julia lemure from wendy ridge farm in holly seeds still available and now it's the time to start thinking about certain seeds going in the ground and phil corman from cisa the local hero folks you can find out about all of our local hero farmers and csa's and farmers markets that are starting to pop up
1: visit them at buylocalfood.org. thank you both so much thank you
5: thank you
8: have a good day
1: This is just about time to meet the mayor with East Hampton's Nicola Chappelle. If you've got a question for her, text us at 1-800-639-9120.
0: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. That's the music of the band and the kids, who is one of the bands that East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle is a fan of, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Kalee Smith. And we, all oh, this is, although this is a new show, are endeavoring to talk to all of the mayors in the four counties of Western Mass. Which There's are, less than you think. Yeah, there are fewer mayors than you would think. But uh, we had Mayor Joshua Garcia from Holyoke, and now we have, originally from Holyoke, the mayor of the city that is right next door, East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle. Thank you for being... Officially the second mayor that we're meeting on Meet the Mayor.
6: And I'm, I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. Um, I've missed our talks on uh, the third Monday uh, with uh, on that other.
0: You can position. say on our, our on former home of WHMP former? with Bill Newman and Buzz oh. Eisenberg. Yes. They uh, have Mayors Monday. Yes. And I was going to steal their alliteration, but not the same name. So it's Meet the Mayor
6: nice i like it yeah. i like it but M's, i Ms. Mm-hmm. sticking and with Ms. Still owns. um and honored to be second after my hometown mayor josh garcia uh, just love what he's doing with the hometown and very happy uh, to be working with him mayor to mayor it's just yeah. it's been a lot of fun
0: and despite the fact that mayor dominic sarno made a guest appearance on the show today that does not count as meet the mayor no we did not meet him yeah. in this format where we no. can just
6: conversation with his scheduler Mayor's out of that.
0: Yeah, right. This mayor's
6: out of it. (laughs) First,
0: tell us about, you grew up in Holyoke, and then what um, brought you to East Hampton and brought you to the highest office in
6: East Hampton? Um, I grew up in Ward 4 in Holyoke. Um, My, let's see, my great-great-grandparents came from uh, Canada and the railroad to work in the mills. And then everyone, let's see, my mom, my dad, my grandparents all worked in Ampad, uh, and then What's Ampad? Ampad is the uh, makes notebooks, the Paper City, oh, if you remember. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and uh, next to a place called Electron or whatnot that makes the best puzzles in the world. Oh. Yes. It's uh, definitely still. Worth think- uh yeah i think they're wow. still there
0: we got to do a segment on that yeah <laughs>
6: okay. yeah I, I think they're still there um and you know went to the same schools that my grandmother and mother and father went to um, and then the big you know fast forward i went all of five miles up the road to smith college for my undergrad and uh, came back from california then in 93 with a a baby and was looking for a place to live. And in East Hampton, at the end of Underwood Drive, I found two houses on one plot of land for $92,000. Wow. Yeah. At, right. I mean, talk about the universe opening up and raining property on me. I was very pleased. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was to live there for a couple of years. My brother lived in the smaller house, and then we would go back to Hoyoke or, you know, do whatever. And we liked it. I mean, we lived on a... Say, Uh, side of the mountain, downtown was perking up. Uh, there was just a really groovy thing happening. Uh, not that was the beginning of the mills being fixed up. Mm. Uh, and then to end up being mayor, I just got really, I just got really upset with national politics. I'd done a lot of volunteering, a lot of fundraising, and uh. There's this great book by uh, Mike Royko, the sports writer, uh, boss, and talks about Daily and the ward operation and getting things done immediately with some interesting tactics, to say the less.
0: Mayor Daly, not yeah. like D-A-I-L-Y? or
6: Yeah, mayor. Yeah, right. Um, mayor Daly, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, not me. Um, I just realized, like, the city-state, is one of the strongest things that we've ever created. Um, Not because it's perfect, but it's moldable and it's responsive to the people on Main Street. And I was like, we need to start over. We need to start on Main Street. Uh, And I was like, mayor of East Hampton, 16,000 people. Um, The air seemed ripe um, to do a lot of creative, fun things and open up government. So I ran.
0: We're talking with Mayor Nicole O'Shapel of East Hampton. And hopefully we'll talk a little bit about the development and how Cool East Hampton has become, for lack of a better word, and how you probably can't buy a plot of land with two houses for $90,000 there now, and that is yeah. a blessing and a curse of sorts, but East Hampton, of course, has been in the news with the search for the superintendent of schools there and the school committee. So the very brief summation of what's gone on, Mm -hmm. if you haven't followed this quickly, I mean uh, closely, is Vito Perone was offered position as superintendent on March 23rd and accepted pending negotiations. There was an executive session meeting on March 30th to discuss those negotiations. And this is where the so-called ladies controversy begins. That meeting is now subject of an open meeting law complaint. And now there have been two school committee members who have resigned in the wake of this controversy. It became a national story that Vito Peron was allegedly asked to no longer accept this, was was pushed out from accepting the role as superintendent because he used the word ladies to address members of the school committee. First, he says that that's why. He says that that is why. What's your take on this whole on the ladies controversy. Is it is this actually what happened that caused the school committee to rescind their offer? Or is there more to this story that you can tell us?
6: Um, I can certainly add context to that. Um, I would like to just back up a, a, a moment, which I find I am amazed that it's completely lost in in the news and, and whatnot. Um, ladies and being called the lady If termed a microaggression, which I know is a strong word, um, it should be taken as that fact and how they feel and how they'd like to be um, how they'd like to be referred to. And I think it's fair uh, to say that Chair um, Kwasinski and as well as Ms. Colby uh, had, you know, the chair called out that's not the way she would like to be referred to. Um, and that's for her to decide. That's no different than, um, you know, a level of harassment in the workplace. Do I think on the scale of microaggressions, is it a massive one? No, there are much <laughs> there are many more that folks that, you know, don't look at all at me that aren't, you know, white. And they're it's not on that level. But it's also, though, important.
0: So is your take that she really did view this as a microaggression? Because I had heard rumblings and, you know, rumor mill and you talk to parents in East Hampton that some of them were saying that this was Vito Perón's way of commandeering the narrative about himself to say that there were other problems surrounding Vito Perón that the school committee had, but that he ran out with the narrative that he was asked it was rescinded because of the lady's comment that then becomes a national news story. It seems like fodder for certain people in a certain political bent. But your take was that she actually did view this as a microaggression. And and is that the driving reason why that he was asked um, to, to. She he clarified in the the a
6: opera. public statement that mm-hmm. she took it as an insult and a microaggression. And I feel that is for her to define and to be respected. Uh, Dr. Perone, uh did then go public with his concerns and decided that it was that comment. Um, it was much more deep as well as the context and how he addressed the whole school committee in that executive session. But then uh, to go public with his own narrative um, is utterly confounding to me, um, now, utterly confounding.
0: Now, some school committee members have resigned. Uh, Lori Garcia is the most recent, mm-hmm. to over the weekend. And she wanted to renegotiate with Vito Perón. And you, amongst others, have voted against opening renegotiations with Vito Perón. Why?
6: Superintendent, as a school committee member, we have mandates. And one of those mandates are to put forward processes to do important things. One of the most important things is to hire a superintendent. We had a process we put forward and we delivered on our mandate. That mandate in no way um, can be changed by a campaign by a school committee member or an applicant to all of a sudden reopen negotiations when there's been a public vote that negotiations are closed. Um, it happens all the time. You enter into negotiation, an agreement cannot um, be met and negotiations end. It's not for one side to say, well, I don't want them to end and I'm going to you know, reach out with a, a, an open arm and and feel that, you know, the candidate can be a part of healing. Well, they're entitled to their opinion, but the process was followed the law. we delivered um, a process that was open, that was fair. The result, whatever that is of a process, that's not guaranteed, nor is it something that the school committee can guarantee.
0: There is some question about whether or not um, there was a violation of open meeting law. And there are some people in town that feels like this hasn't been a very transparent process. So um, do you feel like there was a violation of open meeting law in these discussions as the mayor of East Hampton, Nicole Ashbell, And what's being done to sort of Regain the trust of the members of the community that still sometimes are, are standing at the end of Cottage Street, holding signs that say things like "ladies" and that are trying to you know reengage with Vito Perone, who some people think was a good candidate for the superintendent.
6: I mean, obviously, he was a, a strong candidate because he made it to the finals, mm-hmm. and we had a search committee who, I mean, spent weeks and hours going through all the applications. So, I won't deny that Dr. Perone had um, you know strengths. The first vote we took, uh, I voted for him, uh, you know, and then reversed in the executive uh, session. The idea of good candidate or bad candidate, I, I, it's just too black and white. It's just like one word doesn't, ha- you know, wasn't dependent on offer or rescinding. There was a conversation that was broad about the candidate's qualities and I believe that's not an open meeting law. It's a part of negotiation, and it is also a part of the due diligence the school committee must do to deliver the best result of the process. Was it transparent? It was. Executive session is confidential, um, very purposely so, as are negotiations. I said as much to Dr. Perron in that first executive session that no one, he was concerned. And I said, no one on this committee legally can speak about this. The statement will be that we entered negotiations and could not come to agreement. Um, And I you know, faithfully said, uh, what you say is up to you. But this is what we're going to say. <laughs> and if you should hear differently, um, then I would like to know. And Chair Kwasinski would like to know because there are consequences to that.
1: I feel like there's a certain precedent that gets set by people who take that information and go, huh. Yes.
6: <laughs> now, there wasn't before
0: we we're, I promise we wouldn't talk just about the superintendent. We're going to run out of time here. But one last question about this. There was another superintendent who was offered the job. Mm-hmm. Erica Fajinski. Yes. Stark. Um, and she withdrew her candidacy after students from the high school uh, flagged some comments that she had made um, con- calling her conservative and transphobic uh, rhetoric. Is uh, is it going to be possible to get a good candidate permanently for the city of East Hampton with all of the drama that's been surrounding this, the candidates that have been offered the job in this part of the process so far?
6: I mean, Dr. Stark withdrew after a conversation with the chair of her own decision, and I can a- commend the students for coming forward with their concerns and backing it up by something very real they read on social media. It's a larger conversation of what is a background check on an application without uh, tiptoeing or leaning over into an individual's uh, personal life and privacy uh Social media is a big blah. That's Uh, not a background check. That's what you put out there. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it has weight. And that was our discussion with the candidate at that time. She made her own decision to withdraw. And we move, march forward into what is now history. A part of the reason why the chair put out an option of an intern was exactly that, um, the, the drama and uh, the large kerfuffles that are happening to get back to the kids and the staff, get into routine. It's the end of the school year. So it's prom and it's, mm-hmm. you know, eighth grade transition and, and kindergarten transition, which is just so fun. Um, and the, the kids deserve to celebrate and end out um, or, or begin their career in East Hampton Public Schools um, just about them. It's about them. So the intern gives us all space. And I know school committee members are already looking into trust building activities while we have an intern to build that trust.
0: That's it for the superintendent part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. More rapid fire questions about other East Hampton goings on coming up in just a little bit with the mayor of East Hampton, Nicole LaChapelle, on Meet the Mayor, the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Hangman.
1: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. We are here with Mayor Nicole LaChapelle of East Hampton. We have a question from one of your constituents, Jared DeFazio in East Hampton, has is asking, where do things stand with the skate park?
6: Sure. Um, very exciting, the skate park project. And I would be remiss to mention, uh, not to mention that it was started and came forward a group of volunteers. Um, who not only came up with the idea, but really um, organized the community around it, did some fundraising, paid for some environmental impact reports. Uh, Right now, we are finishing round one of testing of some city-owned land off of the bike path by Ferry Street and Wastewater. Uh, We haven't gotten all of those tests back, but we are feeling pretty good about it. Uh, And also... Sub-agenda. It's a way to expand the area around the bike path um, and also give, you know, different, different parts of uh, the community recreation options, but also skateboard and then uh, hop off the park and take a great walk through Arcadia.
0: Now, we got another question from Jim O'Donnell, who you know, and I could tell by the uh, volumes of information that he sent us about this topic that you may have encountered him before, is claiming that he, he said spoke very highly of you as the mayor, but seeing that the he feels disgruntled with the housing authority, says they recalcitrant to the point of ob- obstructive. Tell me your take on uh, the housing authority. Is there something that needs to be investigated in regards to the housing authority in the minute we have left on the show?
6: <laughs> yeah, great. That, that's a Wow. Yeah. Huh? Um, yes. So I'm familiar with Jim's concerns and uh, the escalation of those concerns. There are a couple of city councilors who are looking at it as well. And I've contacted Representative Kerry and Senator Villas about the issue. Um, the ha- East, East Hampton Housing Authority isn't a department of the city. It actually reports to the state. Um, I don't know, granddaddies of all housing committees. I forget the letters. Um, <laughs> that's the official title now. Yeah, yeah yes. exactly. I, I mean, granddaddy I a, housing committee. I want to be yeah. a granddaddy. Yeah, there you go. Oh. I'm going to be a grandmother. Oh, cheers. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Congratulations. See, that was a pivot. That's a p- I'm a politician. <laughs> that's a, a nice political move. Isn't yeah, it? there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, there are some inconsistencies there. We've had open dialogues with the board and helping them put together a tenants association and the, the city council. Uh, Tom Peak has really been a, a huge part of that. Um, Whether there is credence or not, I would say that there is a lot of information to sift through and not just from Jim um, to figure out the wild bureaucratic paths of housing authorities.
0: Very quickly, we've been talking a lot about how much you love local music. I know you love the Grateful Dead. I try not to hold that against you. Favorite local band right now?
6: You know, Pamela Means. Oh, I had her
0: music queued up, I think, in here somewhere. I don't know, we might have <laughs> yeah. already played it.
6: <laughs> yeah, right now. I mean, she I, I've listened to her for decades, um, but she is just killing it in yeah. the last couple of years. <laughs> oh, So enjoy that. She's great. We're playing Lux to
0: Lux, so I know you like to, and one of yes. whom owns a bar in your, uh, in your town. I'm surprised maybe.
6: you're not wearing their hat
1: today. I know.
0: Mayor LaChapelle of East Hampton, our second mayor on Meet the Mayor, thank you so much. Tomorrow on the show, the first Pride celebration of the year will happen this weekend. A whole month early. We'll hear about Northampton Pride, now Hampshire Pride, then and now. We'll be joined by Northampton's Dr. Jane Fleischman, who was at the first Pride event, and we'll talk with Clay Pearson, the organizer of this one. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow. On the Fabulous fabulous 413.